0: Welcome to another episode of A Pint with Shawnee B. Today, coming to you from Sydney, the Centennial Pub near Centennial Park. I've got a great guest today. He's a guy I've known for many years. His name is Guy Venables. Guy is a a guy who actually is single-handedly responsible for the whole area of photographers agents for those of you don't know what a photographer's agent is it's somebody who basically burns the shoe leather and cold calls ad agencies on behalf of photographers and it was an industry that never existed in Australia Asia and many parts of the world and Guy through his company uh, set it up and became very successful at it he's a very creative individual not only has he made the careers of many photographers, he's also represented people like Simon Harsant, who was a previous guest on A Pint with Shawnee B, and he's even sat on award juries and, believe it or not, won a, a Silver Can Lion, which is one of the best awards in the industry for copywriting. So this guy's got a lot of stories to tell. He's lived a very creative and interesting life. So without further ado, I give you Guy Venables.
1: Hi, Sean. How are you doing? Very nice well. Nice
0: to be here. Tell me a little bit about where you're from and how you ended up here. I grew up where were you <coughs> born?
1: <coughs> I was born in Croydon, Surrey. Okay. That's nothing to be proud of. It's now a big suburb of southern London, just about. Uh, at the age of four, my mother, a single mother, moved myself and my sister to the countryside. Right. And I think that was the greatest gift she could have given us growing up in the really. countryside. was fantastic. And yeah. Our playground was the field next door which grew corn. Wow. Seasonally, we would be playing in that field and when it, when, when the, the, the combine harvester would come by, we'd be really excited because it meant- Was it like did, Black uh, Beauty? Yeah, it's kind of <laughs> Rolling Hills, the Chilterns, Cotswolds, right, that lovely. sort of thing. And, what did she do? Oh my God, she did all sorts of things. I mean, it was really hard to be a single mom in the
0: in 60s. Bet. Yeah.
1: So. yeah. You know, did everything from laying tables to working in an office and then eventually running an accounts department for the uh, hydraulics research station, I think it was. uh, National Energy Research Council was near us in Wallingford and stuff like that.
0: Is she still with us?
1: She's still with well, us. She's ah. 84 years old now, living in Wales.
0: Hello, Very Mrs. Venables, if you're listening.
1: Mrs. Venables, yes. <laughs> the last link with India. Yeah, she she emigrated she from India. So.
0: Really? Is your mother Indian?
1: She's Anglo-Indian. That's why everyone thinks I'm Italian or Greek. <laughs> well, that works. Because <laughs> I've got a tab. <laughs> you're halfway.
0: No, I'm... I'm, I'm oh, no, what was Anglo- it like Indian. for her when she growing I up? I think, so think
1: it would have been really difficult. Though, she, the Anglo-Indians in India were regarded as sort of the, the buffer between the British and, and the Indian Indians. And they had sort of middle management jobs. Right. And then when things changed, they were given a choice, you know, stay or go. And a lot of Anglo-Indians went to Canada, right. some to Australia. The family used to live in a place called Karagpur, which is uh, its main claim to fame as having the longest platform in the world.
0: Train a platform.
1: Because <laughs> my grandfather worked for the, um, I think it was Nagpur, Curagpur Railway. He designed bridges, draftsmen. Right. And he had three daughters and one son.
0: So your grandfather decided to take the whole family yeah, out? The whole family to right. a yeah.
1: They moved to Dartford, and um, you go from a sort of a lifestyle where you've got servants and your sort of management yeah. to arriving in Britain in the 60s. Yeah. A bit racist. Very racist. Uh, very racist. <laughs> Still uh, today. It, you know, sharing in a in a um, in a terraced house, getting your feet on the ground, and yeah. sort of other relatives helping you get, yeah. get settled and yeah. things like that. So all of, all of that struggle, and then my mum. Um, eventually, things evolve. She meets my dad. I think she met my dad in the Marath and um, and then they moved to Croydon, and I was born.
0: Ah, okay. So did you go to school in this new place you went to? This new Elysian field that sure. your mum moved you to.
1: well, I passed the 11 plus, ended up in this really strange school called Wallingford Boys Grammar. I think it was built in 1672 or something, and then the new building was 1860-something. Anyway, it was old. Very Tom Brown School. And and ironically, I was the Venables, because there's a Venables in Tom Brown School. I was the Venables in there. And the masters were affectionately, with hindsight, all completely bonkers. All eccentric. I don't right. know what it was. It felt like the madmen were running the nut house. You know that was something that we, we we all joked about because one of the largest largest psychiatric hospitals was situated in the village I grew up in.
0: Yeah. Turrets and yeah, yeah, fences yeah. Yeah. and we're going to make it madder.
1: Victorian yeah. architecture yeah. and <laughs> if you Google Family Hospital and
0: just Google images, the
1: place room. inside is extraordinary. And then you've really got these huge panels with knobs and dials on them. Think, what do you need that for? but, but psychiatry back then? Was, they didn't know
0: what they were doing. They were electrocuting <laughs> people left, right, and centre. I mean, they didn't know what the fuck they, they were doing. And they would wander the village. Oh, really? They'd get passed out
1: would be allowed to wander the village during daylight hours.
0: Okay. And we
1: spent a long time talking to loonies,
0: which was you great them. for advertising. Which, which <laughs> agencies I always, exactly? I
1: always thought that's ironic. Yeah. Later this is life, why I'm good I at get this. To do an
0: entire career with them.
1: And, and I had favourite ones. My favourite loony. <laughs> his
0: name was Ted. Ted, apologies, you're still alive. Ted, I'm so sorry. Yeah. And listening to this. We used to sit together. It's not packet. Ted Royer, is it? <laughs> <laughs> there he is, in New York. What are the chances? You never mentioned this on the podcast, Ted. <laughs> he
1: used to sit there with a half ounce or, you know, that little packet of old Holborn, it was ready, rubber, yeah. and he'd roll these thinnest rollers, and he'd sit there and he'd tell me, is there life on Mars, guy? We just don't know. But one day, man will send me there, and he'd be doing all this stuff. I remember talking to him when man landed on the moon. I remember that newspaper, famous newspaper picture. Yeah and I was very excited about that and I started a scrapbook and I showed Ted my scrapbook and he was completely into it but he in fact told me that it had been done years ago and we were already on Mars Yeah, uh, which was really which is the basic premise boy. of
0: Battlestar Galactic actually <laughs> uh, what, what was this is the great the funny thing about this story is imagine that today with the kind of pilot helicopter, freaked out, fearful, you were allowed wander around your There's town There's no way, no, that you'd
1: have people wandering around the village, honestly. Mem- I don't know whether I embellished it with my yeah. memory, but Here's I my remember friend. people walking around, sometimes some of them very slowly, like they had been, genuinely had the lives zapped out of them, but they were walking like zombies yeah. around the village. Occasionally you'd stop and talk to them, you know, but they were apparent.
0: Never at did you go to college then? I
1: did, I went to South Bank.
0: Oh, in London. In London, in Elephant Castle. So what did you study there? That's creative, right?
1: No, I actually studied business studies. I did that because I was determined to go to college. The um, creative thing would have been graphic design. I had a burning desire to be an art director from a very early age. I left school at 18 after doing my A-levels, and I applied to do graphic design. My first job out of school happened to be in uh, Habitat. Habitat is a company that a guy called Terence Conran started, a very famous designer. You know, there was no internet or anything. It was all photocopies and um, carbon copies. My job was to get the yellow one and the pink one, separate them, (laughs) and put them in numerical order in these two files. Separate wire
0: baskets. These
1: two files and sometimes photocopy one. Mm. But just over to my left, I would look over and I'd see these guys looking not unlike yourself, walking in, fancy watch, scruffy as all heck. Mm. Anyway, one day, a couple of, couple of weeks of this goings on, and I just couldn't help myself. So I went over and I talked to this woman. Her name was Alice something like that. And I stood in front of her desk, and she was doing something, and she looked up. She said, can I help you? I said, uh, I'm just wondering, what do you do? Who are those people? She said, no, I'm in charge of the catalogue. Those are the photographers. They've come down from London and the art directors and the designers from Conrad Design London. So there was oh a light bulb. Goodness, and I said to her, I want your job. Yeah. And she's, she just laughed. So uh, I go back to my desk, and two weeks later, I see my boss talking to her across the Open Plan office. Next thing you know, I've got my boss walking across to me. I said, What? She said, Well, Alice is offering you a job. Why don't you go over there and find out about it? And I went over there and she said, well, look, you can't have my job (laughs) (laughs) yet. But, she says, it's the bottom rung on the ladder
0: in the studio. We
1: have a position for a studio technician. So basically you do everything for the art directors. You do everything for the stylist. You do everything for for the photographers. And so I ended up literally the next day in jeans and T-shirt. In the studio, Great. putting sets together, wallpapering sets, assembling furniture—that
0: was cool of her to react to your bravery of walking into her office. Wasn't it? Was it? Am- it was a was a big yeah.
1: biggest influence in my life. It was fantastic, and yeah. that's where I learned about art. That directors. was your light bulb moment. I'm still I was still working out what art directors did in terms of the Habitat catalogue. I knew that they they decided on the arrangement of things and had asked me to do unusual things like go and find all the orange spined books that you can brilliant. we want that shelf to be orange spined books yeah. and I thought, what a job yeah you're just sitting there cooking yeah. this up and you're i
0: hope you went s- straight to penguin and you think <laughs> that's the solution <laughs> <laughs> it
1: was brilliant that job was brilliant and every day i'd be sitting down and having lunch and breaks with yeah. these art directors who were the most the best of breed designers of the day yeah. and photographers and it was from yeah. them that they they said well if you want to be an art director like us you need to go and study graphic design yeah. Yeah. and so i applied to do graphic design and i got into derby longsdale college of art and then the spanner and the works came because the british system back then revolved around arts having a discretionary grant and other subjects a, attracted a mandatory grant as in the money's yours if you get a place but with arts you had to go and have your portfolio assessed by a grants assessor I no, had to I j- go and take my A-level art portfolio oh, to a grants no, assessor no, and he didn't give me the grant and because I'm growing up with a single mum she didn't know much yeah, about anything yeah. and I didn't know much I didn't have any guidance or anybody at that point I just went oh fuck I had a big cry because it felt like my world had fallen apart yeah and then I was filled with this resolve going right, fuck it, I'm still going to go to college by hook or by crook. but I'm going to go and get one of those courses with a mandatory grant where right. the money's automatic. Yeah. So I've got this manual and I found out all the manual ones and I thought, well, I can't do most of those. I don't want to be an architect and I don't want to be a... What will help me ultimately when I try and get back round to that advertising yeah. side? Business studies. It's yeah. A get a place, get up the money. Yeah.
0: Roll forward then. What happened then when you got out of college? What was your first job? Like all kids,
1: you go on the dole in England and you're looking for jobs so you might be able to earn a little bit of pocket money. There was a fruit stall in Covent Garden. It was called Robert Bruce. You know, one person got a job there and then it went through the house share that we were in. We all ended up there earning a pound an hour, selling fruit and shouting out, you know, 50 pence your avocados. And you see, because it was Covent Garden, you met all sorts of celebrities. Would come and buy their stuff there. So you were actually a day.
0: fruitographer before. I was a fruitographer. Boom boom. boom. Uh. <laughs> 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 nice.
1: You're just out of college, and uh, I didn't want to go straight into business. I had this creative soul, but I didn't know quite where to go with it. So I was drifting around for a few months. I went and visited my housemate one lunchtime at the stage door of the Apollo Theatre in Victoria. She was working on the Sound of Music as a dresser, oh. as a part-time job by then, and her name's Mags, and she was dressing the family von Trapp children. Easy. And I was waiting.
0: Nine leather hosen, please.
1: <laughs> Just inside <laughs> the stage door,
0: and, and, and this woman
1: over my shoulder by the lift, she I heard this. Pss- yeah. And I look over, and you know, you do the classic sort of are you talking to me. She goes, Yes, she beckons me towards her and says, Who are you? I said, I'm a Guy, what are you doing here? I'm waiting for Meg She's dressing the family from the trap. Oh, what do you do? I want nothing. I'm like Mags. We're kind of just finished college and on the dole. Well, do you know anything about dressing? I said, Only what Mags told me. She said, Do you want a job? I can dress I said, myself. Yes. <coughs> I said, Yes. She said, Can you start tonight? Brilliant. I said, Yes. And Mags came up and said, oh, there you are. I said, Mags, I'm working with you tonight. And I started dressing in the West End. Holy and shit. And I had the job of dressing. I was dressing, um, not the family of trap, I was dressing Nazis, uh, Bishop, the Nazi captain, yeah. and, and a character that appears in the stage play called the Lonely Goat Herd. High on a hill. High on a hill. <laughs> a lonely goat, and, and it was fantastic. And so as you're all on the production together, dressers get to spend a lot of time with the actors. It's fairly intimate. You've seen them naked. Yeah. And so, you, you, you know, you go to the parties with them, and you go yeah. for drinks with them, you get to know them. And from there, opportunities also stem, which is how I ended up in, in this really odd position because my other life also involved what was then Britain's largest outdoor advertising company. Uh, Who was
0: that, Allen or something? It was called Mills & Allen. Mills & Allen, yeah. Mills & yeah, Allen. I knew them in Ireland, yeah. yeah.
1: So Mills & Allen um, were moving office...
0: So what you were doing this by day and the, the
1: eventually I wrangled right. it around that because I, re- I wasn't going to be a career dresser, yeah. but this was <laughs> a little bit of extra money. So I registered with a temping agency. And, you know what do you do? What do you want? Blah, blah, blah. And they sent me along to this company called Mills and Allen, who mm. were moving an office. A couple of days of of manual labour, lifting some desks. And uh, I needed the money, and I went along, and I was moving desks, and I got in the lift going from the floor that one office was moving to another and there was a lady in the lift. She said, uh, oh, so what's your story? Oh, you know, um, college. Mm. Uh, just doing this till I find a proper job. Well, what did you do at college? Business studies. Um, you know, specialising in French and marketing. Oh. oh, well, why don't you come and see me after you've finished moving all this stuff? Come over and have a chat with me. So I went and saw her and she was the head of a department. All these punch cards and girls putting in punch biddy, card biddy, operating biddy, 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 biddy. And <laughs> things like this. Again, it was one of those things. The very next day, I end up going in there. That's the very time working. this has happened. I end up, I know it's very odd how yeah. my life has panned yeah. out. And because, again, a series of lucky breaks happened because I was no more than six weeks into the job when the boss resigned. That left two people in the department. So the one above me became the boss and I became the two six weeks or maybe two months she resigns i remember i'd only been in the job maybe three four months and i'm called into caroline whatever her name's office that lady had given me the job and said well guy do you think you can handle that and i did what what you should do yeah i said yep and shit myself at the same time yeah. and, and you just get in there and you do it I didn't feel competent or prepared to do it but you do it you, just, you throw yourself in the deep end it's amazing yeah. what you can do yeah, suddenly course. I was in the department for outdoor sheetage buying you fucking in.
0: learn fast and you learn faster than any college yeah, you do. and you learn the people help you actually because they know you're a junior
1: and, and you swim so what happened then that Your made you... The creative thing, though, is yeah. beginning to niggle you. Yeah. Because you've still got... You've got, you've got a creative still- soul, but you're being taken up this funny path. Yeah. Then another pivotal moment happens in my life. My phone rang, and um, there was a hysterical woman on the other end. Oh, Guy. Is that Guy? Yes. <laughs> Thank God I found you. Who is this? It's Cynthia. And I think Cynthia, because I haven't heard from Cynthia. Who's Cynthia... Cynthia, oh, Cynthia? What wardrobe mistress? Cynthia. Yes. She said, guy, I need your help. I said, Cynthia, um, <laughs> I was now a year down the track at least. You hadn't seen her in a year. No, I was a year down the track from dressing. I wasn't dressing anymore. I'd given Holy up cry. the sound of music because now Mills and Allen and running the national division for campaign coordination. I was a yeah. national campaign yeah. coordinator. That was a that was a proper job. You're a suit. She goes, I need your help. And I remember thinking at the time, no, I'm not going to do this. And then she did the, the worst thing. She started crying. And I'm like, oh, no. And she was rambling. She was in a panic. going, He sacked the last two. I, I need a non-gay male dresser, and I need one now. You've got to help me. Right. And I said, who the fuck is this person that you're, that's upset you so much? She said, Peter O'Toole. No. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, "What the Peter O'Toole yeah, he was like that. Yeah. She said, "Yes. Can you come down to the theatre after work? It's the and Irish dress, Peter O'Toole." I said, "I think I might be a dresser again." Yeah. <laughs>
0: so, yeah. So,
1: so I left work and walked
0: from. What play Palmean, was it?
1: Man and Superman. George Bernard Shaw. Yeah, yeah. Jack Tanner, he played. Yeah. Um, and I went down there. and Was I, he
0: drinking heavily?
1: He wasn't drinking because he'd had a big operation. He had a massive um, sickle-like scar on his tummy. And I did ask him, I said, you know, it was was at the drink, and he said, um, God damn, Richard Harris! I had 15 miles of tubing taken out of me, God damn, Richard Harris! (laughs) So he was... You know, he had a very sort of drolly voice, but it wasn't drunk because it was yeah. just how he yeah. Math, yeah. Peter O'Toole, like yes. me. Yes, yes. Madness. He asked, Madness. Me if, he asked me a few questions. We got yeah. on really, really well, and I became his personal dresser. And so I started this double life. Well, just for this play? Just for this play. Right. But, but it was too big of an opportunity to miss because if you're Peter O'Toole's personal dresser, you're meeting awesome people. Yeah. So by day... I'm like, sort of, I'm wondering if we can get this 48-sheet billboard on, on the A303 A3, because Marlborough wants it. It's got fantastic visibility. And at night, it's knock, knock, knock on Peter's door and I open the door. Shirley Bassey, come in, sit yeah. down, Lovely. and I talk to Shirley Bassey, make her a cup of tea or whatever. Whoever get whatever guests he's got coming back, not 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 John Hurt, come in, sit down. John Hurt spent about Berean. two weeks sitting around. I think he was bereaved because his wife had died, and he was right. like, sitting in the dressing room and making many, endless cups of tea.
0: And there, much, to him. and there wasn't much boozing going on. No drugs? boozing. No, I'd make him lots of cups of tea. Is there drugs? No. And no, but like all the guests, you
1: know. No, not at all. Everybody's like drinking cups of tea. So, so then, was, then why was that, that, that was pivotal? Well, it's pivotal because it got me around creative people again. Yeah. And it made me realise, if you keep doing what you're doing, and you hate to do things badly, I'm very good at doing something that I don't like, yeah. but doing it really well because I hate to fail. But that actually has been my worst enemy because it sends me off down the wrong path for the wrong reasons. Every time I would go to leave Mills and Allen, I'd be immediately tempted back. And I'd end up with a bigger desk and a bigger bigger pay packet. And that would kind of settle me down for a while. But then, as you know, if you've got a creative soul or you've got something else, you're a different type of person. You're not being your authentic self. And your authentic self keeps rising up and saying, you're not this.
0: It's a good piece of wisdom for the podcast because a a lot of people know that they have that in them and are afraid or they're told not to or... That'll never work. You might as well stick with the safe option, which would be Mills and Allen. Yeah. So what did you do?
1: In the end, it was through Peter that I met showbiz people. One of those showbiz people was a director. His name was Martin Donovan. He offered me a job going to Rome, working as his assistant, which was fun. He, he went on to do some quite good things. He launched Colin's first career with a film called Apartment Zero. He was one of the co-writers of Death Becomes Her.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: and so he was I a writer-director? Writer-director, yeah. And you were
0: producing for him?
1: No, I was just assisting. Okay, assisting, just, just sort of tagging along and doing whatever, but ultimately, <laughs> ultimately it was a great break, but ultimately maybe not as great as I thought because uh, I think he kind of fancied me and I definitely wasn't gay. <laughs> So that was the end of the directing thing. So I returned to England, and um, it was around that time that I met an Australian lady, woman. Romantically. Romantically, and because my life was in flux, she said, come to Australia. Her visa was running out. Oh. It was literally like that. It was like, well, what are we going to do with this? Went, why do not you come to Australia? Okay, why not? So I came to Australia.
0: That was the reason. you
1: yeah age it was, it got captured
0: by a woman on a pommy hunt brilliant age and what imported 1986 20 so instead being exported or import, yeah. imp- imported 26 are you still friends <laughs>
1: don't know where
0: she is <laughs> don't, don't know, know where, don't where she idea. is
1: but she was very important in, yes in, in, yeah. in the whole scheme of things because she interfaced me back with photographers it was an environment I was extremely familiar with. So if I, if I, you know, we were now mixing and mixing with photographers, friends with photographers, hanging out at their studios, yeah. and, and within a year and a half, she was fashion editor of New Idea magazine, Wow. which is or was yeah, the biggest huge. selling yeah, weekly magazine yeah. in Australia. And suddenly our life overnight changed because when you're the fashion editor of Australia's
0: a lot of powerful invites.
1: magazine. Suddenly, you're courted by everybody. Yeah. Our cupboards were so full of gifts and giveaways yeah. and God knows when You're on the alabache yacht, and you're at the front seat of the Logies meeting John Travolta yeah. and Ernst Borgnine and all this. So, stuff.
0: was this uh, crazy? But this was all That's nuts, right? I mean, again, this is preposterous. Yes, it is. <laughs> but at the time, it's like at the time, brilliant. At the time, but brilliant. also I normal. Back, I go,
1: how how yeah. does that happen? Yeah. It is nuts, yeah. completely nuts. By then I'd started my fledgling management company and that had come about directly as a result of knowing her name was Paula and um, she naturally would be hanging out with photographers and very often by by then I'd actually got myself a job in a very small advertising slash PR company. I think they were more PR than advertising in all honesty. Down St Kilda Road, they were called M-A-A-M. My job was to be account director and new business development, which I did quite well. The new business development thing literally was yellow pages or whatever, printed resource, because no internet, phoning people up and doing the the sell and getting a foot in the door. And I was landing them good business. And my job was basically a large part of it was a reward based on the first six months retainer. I was getting a clip. And, uh... (laughs) that commission was a bit slow in coming and I would join Paula and her friends down at these photographers studios at the end of a Friday usually around 7.30 with my six pack and they'd have been boozing since lunchtime Yeah. again with the photographers who looked pretty much the same as those Habitat photographers with their yeah. lovely watch and yeah. a Range Rover in the car. I've arrived. And, you know... Yeah. These are the guys I want to work with. I want to be in their gang. <laughs> yeah, I don't want yeah. to be doing this again. I'm in the suit again. What have I done? I've gone back down the suit thing and I want to be with them. And I'm sitting there and this photographer, David Granger... David, if you're listening, you changed my life. David was... Well, obviously he'd been drinking. I think he might have been a little stoned but I still remember his face to this very day and this was the moment he leant over the bench and he looked at me and he said Guy, every Friday you come here and you complain about your job you complain about the suit and the tie and the hours you're having to do but then your face lights up when you say you've landed this client and that client he said, why don't you just change what you represent you're actually good at what you do. Uh. Just change what you represent. Guy, do you know, in New York and L.A. and Paris and London, for photographers like me, we have agents. We're managed. We're stars. You, you know, if we had someone like you, that industry hasn't arrived here yet, he said. Mm-hmm. And I said, Dave, you're stoned. <laughs> I'm not about to start an industry I don't even understand or know about. In a country yeah. I hardly know. But that seed was obviously sown. And it, and it was that moment I didn't know that two weeks later it was going to change my life.
0: Only two weeks it took to come up two
1: with. Two weeks later, because this, again, is happenstance. Two weeks later, I'd been asking for that commission check for a long time. Yeah. Months had gone by now. And now the boss, the MD, had gone on holiday. And the bookkeeper, his right-hand girl, had gone on holiday and there was a relief bookkeeper in there. So I went to the relief bookkeeper and I said, has that cheque come in for, I can't remember who it was,
0: Motorola or Armstrong
1: 902? Months ago
0: days. came in. Exactly.
1: Oh, my God, that was paid back in. It was yeah. approximately one month after I landed the business. So I wasn't happy then. Then our down tools, I was a very angry young man. I waited for him to come back. He was in the boardroom having a meeting. There was this really small company that just entered the Australian market, it was called Nike, um, Never and I was their account director. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he wow. Was, he was meeting with them, and I, I hit the roof, went into that room, In front of the client? In front of the client, they said, you, that'll get you fired you. I didn't mind I yeah, was going anyway because he was ripping me off so badly yeah. and I walked out of there, there
0: it's funny though when, it's funny when some, I mean I haven't ever had as dramatic an exit but it's funny when you do that if, if someone stole your lawnmower and you had to go around and get it back from their house. You would walk in and go, you fucking took my lawnmower. You, you know, mm-hmm. And everyone would be on your side. But like when the person who who has been... You've had money stolen from you, basically, by your own... Well, you
1: know, so it was three commission checks. The magnitude of, of the anger was yeah. we were struggling. We were struggling to pay the bills. And, and the real need was the commission. And to find out that your last three months of struggle needn't have been but this guy for whatever reason probably used it on his holidays you know whatever you know it it was it was maddening so I blew my top I slammed that door as hard as I could I remember thinking I'm going to slam this as hard as I could and I hope the glass breaks and I went out and I
0: drove home and I walked in were you actually fired or did you quit or what did you I quit you quit I just said fuck the job stick
1: your job job. I just quit which you
0: you, that's the problem I love this but the only problem is you left him the fucking three checks. <laughs> no, but I did get them. But in the no, end. no, no, no. Oh you did oh, get them? Oh you yeah. got them. No I okay, sued him and he paid me. Okay good, yeah. good. Well you see you had to sue him then. Yeah. yeah. The best thing to do is to get the money and, from the junior and, and bookkeeper. And legal aid. Because <laughs> right. we have no money. Yeah, okay, okay. But uh, no,
1: because it was clear cut and I did have a contract. But the uh, the funny thing is I walked into that apartment and and she goes, What what's going on? And I remember, I must have seen it in a movie, that you, you've got to grab a bottle of something and pour it and yeah. drink it. So Half it, smoke it. I Take three plus from a I cigarette and put it out. Yeah, but yeah. I remember grabbing <laughs> this, whatever it was, and drinking. He said, well, what are, what are you going to do? You're the stable income in this relationship. I'm, I'm the you know, the occasional worker. Thanks for you're, your
0: support, love. You,
1: you're, you're the stable <laughs> I'm income. I'm leaving
0: you as well. And, I'm and like, I slam that door hoping you would break. And I said, well,
1: you know what? I think I'll go around and see David Granger and I went around and saw him. And that was the last time I ever worked for anyone
0: else. Brilliant. That was in 1988. Born out of anger. 1988. Forged in the fire of anger. You you built then, from David Granger's, you built a, a new business in Australia, which was the idea that ad agencies could contact you to get the right photographer for whatever job they had, right? There were lots
1: of ad agencies that had no idea what photographers were in the market and who they were and there were lots of photographers who didn't know the clients yeah so i made it my business to know all of the main brands and who they were done by and which agencies and which creatives were working on which
0: yeah
1: and which photographers did what and which did what well
0: i was the only one i was the only one for
1: six years i had direct access to art director and copywriter teams Mm. sitting at the desk going in and out of every major multinational agency in sydney and melbourne then Auckland. Showing physical portfolios—I mean, it kept me fit. Those things weigh a ton.
0: <laughs> it's and no different to a record, you know, agent or you know, an actor's agent or anything. It's the same principle.
1: You either sir, leave it to the
0: agent or you was try it yourself. Though, and clearly, I put my
1: heart and soul into getting the work and marketing as best I could and getting as mm. front of many people as could. And it would break my heart to hear that a photographer had done a job behind my back for a client that yeah. he would never have known. Yeah. time and time and time again but you just keep going believing that sooner or later things will come good so you go through a couple of years of that but then another big moment and I think the difference that made the difference and I love that that sentence you know try and find the difference that makes the difference that's kind of been like a little mantra and the difference that made the difference is one day I thought I'm not getting anywhere because Australians they just don't respect a middleman. They want to deal direct and they'll do all sorts of underhanded things.
0: You were basically taking the money that these TV ad agencies in Australia, I can say that, you didn't say it, I said it, (laughs) were... Overcharging their clients. So suddenly you arrive and uh, I know if we can get this guy direct, we can charge like an extra 20, whatever you were taking, 20%, whatever.
1: What would happen? It was 10% at first, but that was adjusted to 20% when I learned what the other agents were doing in the world. I I went and met with a guy in New York called Sam Bernstein. uh, I've heard that. Bernstein Andriuli. They're a very famous agency. They've actually founded the rep business in New York. Yeah, I've heard it. There was my first sort of insight into what real agents did and yeah. how it all worked he, he rocked back in his big chair and he said it's that rarefied deified nullified guy he says yeah it was that kind of accent
0: okay go that again rarefied he says
1: rarefied oh well,
0: rarefied he said
1: guy you're gonna learn this it goes like this rarefied deified nullified you do all the hard work you get them up to where the air is rarefied they feel deified you get nullified (laughs) and you know what? that's true he was right it is true he was right most photographers i knew would leave me in two to four years and the irony is they would leave me if i did my job well
0: yeah because it
1: was a very small market and once you've connected people to enough key clients then they're at cruising altitude and they have that sort of phone call they phone you up and say hey uh, can I come in for a chat and that word used to make me jump you go here we go and you'd know that someone was leaving you there's also
0: the scourge of the agent though the agent is 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 is
1: seen as a parasite yeah parasite exactly exactly the right word exactly the right word parasite
0: but the whole irony is that's what ad agencies are they're the fucking agents they're called
1: agents agencies yeah they're agents the word agent in yeah they, agents you know, they contract are agents.
0: as principal first rule in business when you were way back in school in, in south bank that it is, is a great irony. and you know if you take uh, say soccer you know agents are, are are scourging the sport in the fans view but what the agents are actually really doing is getting the best price for the best footballer to go to the best club what is wrong with that What fan wouldn't want Cristiano Ronaldo to go to their club?
1: Um, But one day on a Monday morning I woke up and thought, wait a minute, there's no difference between me and a production company with directors. That production company still has to go out and show the director's reels to a producer. They're being an agent. Yeah. That production company, they don't mind paying a markup to, they don't mind paying the money to, because they're adding value. So my pitch changed. I would phone up on, on that Monday morning I started phoning up said, My name's Guy Venables. I'm from Folio Production. Ah. We represent photographers and we produce photo shoots." How
0: funny. And just with those Your changing of words, yeah.
1: the business exploded. Yeah. Balance but it. I mean, look
0: to be fair, Guy, there's also the other side of the coin, which is, you know, a lot of Photographers, and not just—it's not a photographer; it's an actor thing. It's a you know model thing. The agents are always looking for the new Cristiano Ronaldo. They're looking for the new thing, and what happens then is maybe even subconsciously you take your eye off the old dog for the hard road who's (laughs) made your company two hundred and eighty grand and is now at home in fucking Newtown with his wife and newborn baby guy. The old works drying up. Cristiano Ronaldo's come into town. Guys out with him partying tonight somewhere. And there is that there, bit, there, right? There's
1: elements of that, and you're aware of that. You're very definitely aware of that. But what you try to do is you try to look after everybody. But then you've got a really difficult dynamic to manage. And ironically, my new business revolves around being the exact opposite of what I have been. I, I teach photographers now. You don't actually need an agent if you know what you're doing. I, you know, I no longer offer myself as a front end agent. I'm a sort of, if you want it, if you want me to work in the back end and steer your ship from behind, fine but I don't want to be living with that expectation of get me my next job. You know, I'll help a company get their next job. Yeah. But I'd like but is to is this help. you
0: pulling back on the throttle a bit? You no, know, it widens my market too, because, right. because okay. it means
1: I can work for You're everybody behind the scenes. Right. It's a different era we're in now. We're in the digital age. <laughs> Everyone can know everybody. You know, you, you can have thousands of Facebook friends, but it still comes down to who you know and who you've got a relationship with. You mm-hmm. and I are sitting here right now, we've got memories of us in various places yeah, in various yeah. countries it's yeah. a relationship yeah, it's not yeah. oh i met you once at a party you know yeah. my facebook friend this is a relationship so if i phone you next week saying hey sean you know i've met another person that i know you'd like you know that i'm saying yeah, i'd be there coming yeah. from yeah. a credible base yeah. same thing with a photographer director or a production I company it. i can say the solution so you're more your neutral problem.
0: now are you book- i neutral yeah I'm neutral. Uh, Before we finish, you also have a boy.
1: I've got a boy, Jaden. Yeah, tell me me about him. Jaden Peter Hudson Venables. There you go. Yeah, the apple of my eye. And he arrives on Sunday.
0: He does. And is he a chip off the old block?
1: He's a creative soul. He's going down the gaming channel because he's 15 at the moment. But, uh, you know, I think he's eyeballing the Olympic team. Britain started an initiative last week to send an e-games team to the Olympics. I saw this, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's, uh, I flipped that press release to him and he's kind of eyeballing that. And it's a whole different world. But, uh, no, the he's, reason he's, I he's bring
0: Jaden up is just to finish. What are the two or three things that you would pass on to him from that journey you were on? What would, what would be the things that you would say, here's what, here's what your dad learned?
1: Yeah, it's funny. I had a chat with Jaden the other day about if you're going to do something, one... Your authentic self, follow that. I've made so many mistakes where I've gone and compromised myself by just doing things well whilst making myself miserable because I'm not working in my authentic self. First How off, do you I find what
0: your authentic self is?
1: Well, it's kind of just what you enjoy. I mean, okay. when, you're, when you're in your authentic self, time goes quickly. And when you're not, time goes slowly.
0: Very good. Love and that. And
1: you just find stuff a drag.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The yellow and pink piece of paper. It is horrible, yeah. the yellow and the pink piece of paper. Yeah. Okay, so then, what else?
1: Don't be in a service business. There are only 24 hours in the day. Try and get into a business where you own some sort of IP so you okay. can wake up with money in your bank while you slept. Invent something, write something, do something where you've got the IP. Think right. about things that don't revolve around you delivering a service for a number of hours think about things that that sell while you sleep and anything else just be happy and don't choose money over love and happiness don't chase the dollar i think i chased the dollar too hard in my life and i've sacrificed a lot and lost a lot because of that in all honesty
0: good way to finish another pint with shawnee b guy Venables. that was brilliant chat guy's a guy who constantly reinvents himself that's what i would have added constantly reinvent yourself That's what we talked about before we went on air. How many summers have you got left in life? My
1: grandma died at 104, so let's hope.
0: He reckons he's got 40. (laughs) I reckon I've got 30. But anyway, the point is at the end of the podcast, you've only got a certain number of summers left. Try and work out what they are and maximize them. Guy Venables, thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you.